Welcome to Auckland Conversations, ideas for becoming the world's most livable city. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, firstly, uh, my name's Andy Baker. I, I probably know one or two of you in the room, but um, and I've got the job tonight of uh, facilitating um, the Auckland Conversations that we're holding here in Pukekohe. Um, just before I start, I just want to acknowledge a few people in, um, in the audience and uh, um, our guest panel, who you, um, who you will uh, be formally introduced to a little bit later on. Um, Deputy Mayor Bill Cashmore, um, wonderful to have you here, Bill. Um, and uh, my, my local board colleagues, um, Angela Full James down here, and uh, Alan Cole, and I see the chair of the Papakura local board here, Brent Catchpole. So um, good to have you here, guys. Um, so, yeah, Auckland Conversations provide an opportunity to possibly inspire and stimulate your thinking about the challenges we face in Auckland, and in particular tonight in the South. It is designed tonight to be thought-provoking. Um, and having spent some time uh, this afternoon with uh, our keynote speaker, Gila, uh having a bit of a drive around and, and things, I am absolutely convinced that uh, your thoughts will be provoked tonight, um, without doubt. Um, this is the first time an Auckland Conversations session has been brought out of the Aotea Centre in the um, centre of the city. And so to the organisers, I thank you for, uh, for choosing to come to Pukekohe. Um, it's a special place for us. But as you all know, um, for the people that live here, um, we're facing a very, very interesting and uh, challenging and exciting time as things change. Um, we've brought to you tonight um, a really quality panel, including our keynote speaker, Hila Aaron, who is described as a city maker and a development expert and whom I will introduce more formally soon. We also have a panel, and again I'll introduce them more formally later, but John Duguid, uh, Cynthia Gillespie and Quinn Henderson. And tonight we will be talking about the New South. The event co coincides, as you've all seen out in the, uh, in the foyer there, uh, a lot of consultation that's been undertaken for the structure planning that has been council-led for the Drury, Opaheke and Pukekohe Pirata areas. And also, in conjunction with that, NZTA-led work um, called Supporting Growth, which is uh, looking at our roading infrastructure. So it is great to have that opportunity, that integrated planning and consultation. So please make sure that you, uh, you take the opportunity to, to give your thoughts and have a look. Um, we also have a, uh, obviously a really good turnout here in Pukekohe, but the event's been live streamed. And um, so we have, hopefully, thousands of people sitting at home on their sofas and in their offices watching because uh, Master Chef's not on till tomorrow night um, and so you know hopefully we're all involved in that um, but it is great to have you all here at Pukekohe remember the supercars are here in November get your tickets shortly um, but welcome to everybody either here or those um, at home um, or in their offices uh, watching online do have some um, some housekeeping obviously so uh, if the alarm sounds um, we have to make our way back out um, through the uh, through the building and there will be some ushers who can help you out uh, if you can't remember where you came in. Um, it's past the bar if that's the problem. Um, toilets are at the end of that, go through the foyer and past all the displays and the toilets are at the far end of the, uh, of the building down there. And if you could, ladies and gentlemen, just turn either your phones off or put them on silent. Um, I'm not afraid to name and shame um, for those who, uh, whose phones go off, including mine. 
Um, I do want to thank our, uh, our, our sponsors and partners in this. Our Auckland partner is South Base Construction and, uh, and our design partner is Rosine um, and all of our, uh, of our program sponsors. So how it works tonight is that uh, shortly we'll have a presentation from Hela where she will build on her experiences working with cities globally and then she will be joined by a group of panellists with extensive backgrounds across varied areas involved with urban development and city growth. The discussion will be opened up for questions from the floor and we're using a thing called Slido which enables me to receive questions from either on the floor so if you are um, sort of one of those people that doesn't like coming and asking questions in public forums like this you can give us a sly question by using your phone um, so don't turn it off um, and uh, you can use we're even taking some tweets it's reading here I'm not sure about tweets but um, so using the hashtag AKL conversations and the handle so people who use those things will know at AKL cons c-o-n-v-s um, so and if you uh, if you go to Slido um, if you have a smartphone you can use go to Slido s-l-i-d-o dot com and enter the event code, which is hashtag south, and you can ask your questions, and it'll appear on my little um, iPad down there, and I can ask it for you. Um, so if, you're, uh, if you want to ask some questions off the floor using that, feel free. Um, we always try to ensure the Auckland Conversations events are inclusive and accessible, and so, as I say, we um, have on-demand viewing and a full transcript, and captioning of the event and presentations will be available on the Auckland Conversations website in a few days, so you can remind yourself of what a wonderful evening it'll be by looking at it again. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'll finish, and uh, it is now my great pleasure to introduce to you Hila Uren. Um, she is a city maker. She founded and served as CEO of Tel Aviv Global, a city-owned company affiliated with the Tel Aviv municipality, dedicated to elevating the city's global positioning. During her term, the Startup City Vision was formed, a municipal strategic plan for investors, entrepreneurs, tourists and students connecting a city platform with a private initiative. She was a director of the Tel Aviv Centennial Administration and director of tourism operations for the Society of the Protection of Nature in Israel. She is currently a PhD candidate in the Department of Geography at Haifa University. She holds a BA and Master's degree in Business Administration from Tel Aviv University with a concentration in entrepreneurship. She has completed a program at the Harvard Kennedy School and she is a mother of three when she's not doing that. So ladies and gentlemen, would you please, oh, just a little bit about the Tel Aviv Foundation. It's a 40 year old foundation which is bringing added value through philanthropic funds. So ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Hila Oren. Thank you so much, Andy. And thank you, Angela, for this lovely little tour we had um, this afternoon, because I think when you come to a place, you should at least touch it a little bit. And thank you for the organizers, for bringing me, for bringing John, but for bringing this event over here. I think if we want to develop our cities and we're an era of cities, we should be where, where the things happen. So the conversation, it's very important that it happens here because we're talking about developing here. Um, I would like to take the next 15 to 20 minutes to share with you a best practice from Tel Aviv, which is actually only a tool 
um, to listen, to understand, and to use for your um, knowledge or for your um, developing this area. I'm not trying to call it because I'm sure I'll do it wrong, but I'll try it just once. Puka. <laughs> Puka Kui. Well, Puka, okay? Puki. Pookie, okay, we can call that Pookie. That will really help me. Thank you very much. Okay, so Tel Aviv, for us, we refer to ourselves as a smart startup city. A smart city is an issue that everybody talks about, and we'll refer to that a little bit later. I refer to myself as a city maker. I don't think it's a new profession. Um, we've got shoemakers, we've got filmmakers, and now we also have city makers. City makers are most of the people that are sitting here. And I'm not sure that I'm aware that this is part of your profession. It's taking off red tapes and making collaborations and actually bringing in the red carpets into the developing of the city. How are we doing it? Let's talk about it. I know, why does it move? There we go. Great, um, great cities, great communities. What does it make a world-class city or a global city? The, the lady here in the picture is um, Professor Saskia Sassen from Columbia University, which I admire very much. She coined the term global city. And when Oakland refers to itself, it does refer as an international business center and direct influence on global affairs. Now, I know we're talking about Pookie, but in a way, we are part of Oakland. And I think we should refer to that all the time. This is the gateway to New Zealand, and Pookie is part of this. And we can take it as an opportunity and as a, um, uh, as a platform that we can use in the future. Now, uh, after going um, in this area, I must share with you that when I say that I'm born and raised in Tel Aviv and I live in Tel Aviv, that's part of it true. I live just like uh, just like Puki in a, in a little village outside of Tel Aviv, an hour drive with beautiful cows and, and, and all the rural area that you all have. And I also don't want my area to grow and to get bigger. So we share the same things, but it is an era of, ci of cities. And by 2050, 75% of, of the world is going to live in cities. So whether we like it or we don't, the population is going to grow. The, um, the question is, how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to um, get, get ready for it? And I heard the word in the beginning of growth, which when I understood, my ear listened to it a little bit as a threat. Although I think the growth is not just going to jump on us here at this area. It's going to grow little by little organically. And I think it's up to the city makers around here to get ready for it and to give a better service to the growth. So this is an issue we should refer later, but not be afraid of it because it's not something big that is going to come from outside. It's just going to grow little by little. When I asked um, how many people were here 20 years ago, I understood that it was like 50% of what we have now. So probably in 20 years from now, it will grow in 50% more, in 100% more. But that growth doesn't mean that it will have disaster. It will probably bring uh, a lot of opportunities. So when Saskia and Sassen referred to that term, what she, what she thought or what, what, um, what they uh, saw in their minds is those global cities around the world, New York, Tokyo, London, Paris, the first tier, which Oakland and Tel Aviv are not part of that. We are not first tier cities, and this is something important to understand. And those cities, if you close your eyes and the globe goes around, actually the business center doesn't go to sleep. 
the stock exchange keep on working over here now it's seven o'clock back in um, London it's around 10 in the morning in New York it'll be 2 a.m. or something like that so that the, the, the stock exchange keep on um, working and when we put this um, this slide five years ago we never believed that Tel Aviv will be one of the 20 leading cities. Now, we're not. We're just perceived as so. And this is something for you guys to ask yourself. Where do you want Puki to be in five years from now? Now, it doesn't matter. It, it, uh, sorry, it doesn't mean that it needs to be anywhere. You just have to decide where you want to focus it, where you think is the base for Puki to be. And that means, that takes me to the first issue that I would like to focus is, is understanding the DNA of a city or of an area. What is that unique selling point that you can find only here and not anywhere else? Now, I try to get that understanding. For me, until now, apart from the potatoes and the horses, I didn't get it yet, but that doesn't mean that there's not a unique selling point. That just means that I didn't get it. But it is, and, and I'm not joking, I'm, I'm, I'm really serious about it. It took us in Tel Aviv three years to understand and define our unique selling point. It takes time to understand what is that special thing that you have here and you don't have anywhere else. So keep that in mind, but just... Sorry, let's go to the next slide. But um, in Tel Aviv, which is quite as, as the same age as you guys are here, we are 110 years old. In 1909, when there's 66 families, entrepreneurs um, had a lottery on the sand. This is how the city looked. Um, just 109 years old, nothing was there. For sure, they didn't know um, what they are. If you'll come, anyone from here has been to Tel Aviv? Oh, nice. Lots of people. Okay. So if you've been to Rothschild Boulevard, you'll see that exactly in that place where they had the lottery and there was nothing, still today, all the startups are, are there. Now, why am I saying that? We didn't understand that we have such an innovative ecosystem just under our carpet. And I'm saying it, we as the mayor, as the top leading um, municipality people, it's, it's an issue that we need to define. So this is the first thing just to bear in mind. What is our unique selling point? Then, how do we want to attract people? Now, I know some of the people that are sitting here don't want to attract people, and that is fine. But if you want it or you, want, or you don't, human resource will be attracted to here. So how are we giving them the best feeling of what they want? We're talking about um, creative class. This is the new um, human resource that they don't need factories. They work on their laptops. They can work in a cafe, at home, anywhere. And Professor Richard Florida coined that term, the creative class. That creative class needs three things, three T's, OK? They need us all to support the talent. This is how our escalator in the municipality looks. They need us to support technology. We have now uh, citywide free wife is a lot of cities. When we had it in 2011, that was before most of the cities. And very, very, very important is tolerance. Sometimes we ignore that issue, especially in conservative places. We like what we do. But in Oakland, where it's such a city, and I, again, I refer to Puki as part of Oakland. This is part of the residential area. You've got so many different communities. We have to be um, tolerant so everyone will feel uh, at home. Having said that, we attracted the people. What are we doing? What is the next step? 
What is this city making that we're talking about it? We can take a place and, you know, shuffle it and build something new, or we can take the city as it is, find the stories, the unique things that are there, and just make them a little bit different. What you see here, that little duck on the mayor's um, office, this is the municipality hall. Now, when a, a, a small community of illustrators approached me and they said, we want to put the duck on the roof, it sounded quite, you know, um, weird or awkward or whatever. But the thing is, I understood that maybe I don't know what is this duck and why is it so important and why to do that. But if you want your residents to really feel that the city is there, just like you would give, I think, this is what I would do, you would give your kid to put their toy in the middle of the saloon on the sofa, you should give your residents what they want uh, and would make them um, comfortable. So if that duck is, is out there and it made a smile on so many people around Tel Aviv, um, this is a red tape that I think should be taken off because there was all the reasons why not to put the, the duck on the roof, right? Budget, stupid, storm regulations, right? The wind uh, in Tel Aviv, whatever. But you don't know how much this 10,000 uh, shekels, which is like $2,000 that we invested in this project, it brought us more PR and more good um, connections with the residents than any other thing. So what I'm trying to say is not that this was so clever as an issue by itself, but it was very strong as connecting the, the residents and giving them the engagement that they really want to, um, to feel that the city is theirs. How are we connecting the young people that are just at the back there, and I'm there, very happy to see such young um, listeners in the audience, how are we connecting them and giving them the feeling that this city is part of, of, of their life and that they can really influence and they can put their um, uh, skateboards or, or ducks or, I don't know, what do you want to do? Where, what do you want to put and where? Your bikes, exactly. Do we listen to them? Do we know what their needs? What hurts them? How would they feel better around town? This is part of, of, of city making. Another part, this is um, uh, an, uh, a nice example from Vienna, is the private sector. I think, and I'm a civil servant, I think we as the um, public sector, we always are one step behind the private sector. We should look at the private sector. They invest their money. They go before us, and then it's us. And when I saw in Vienna that a lady put money and invested in, in, in the Tel Aviv brand, we understood that the Tel Aviv brand is probably a little bit more than what we understood. And then we initiated Tel Aviv Global. So again, just look out there. If somebody from the private sector is doing something in Puki that we don't even know why he's doing it, and why, but if he's investing it in money, Wait and see, and sometimes even collaborate with it. Probably there's a, a, a good um, example. Another example is to learn from other cities in the world. In 2011, we went to, uh, to Michael um, uh, Bloomberg, mayor of uh, New York, and we said, okay, we are Tel Aviv, a tier two uh, city. How can we get global? Please advise us, just like you called me. So with all due respect, we went to Michael Bloomberg. We thought it's, it's someone to learn from. And he said, well, Guys, and when, when I'm saying it's the mayor, Ron Khuldai, my, my boss, me and the rest of the team, he said, guys, go back home. 
you've got such an innovative ecosystem in Tel Aviv that you're not aware of. We're actually learning from you on that issue. You've got this startup scene. We were not even aware. He sent us to go and learn about a co-working space. Now a lot of people are aware of WeWork and all those places. Back in 2011, only in New York it was there. So sometimes we don't need to invent the wheel. Just go to other places, tailor-made, whatever you need for your city. And then um, what we did is we took, we came back home and after half a year, we took a, an old neglected library in the best um, area. We made it a co-working space. And until now, this was 2011, now we're 2018, it still works and, and has lots of teams and um, um, entrepreneurs that are working there. Now again, that is a, as an example, it wasn't easy. Of course, the, the head of librarians, thought I was crazy, and the CEO of the city explained me that there's no budget and we cannot go and it's not in the work plan. But if you see an opportunity and you think it fits, go and do it. The worst case scenario is that you'll fail. And a failure is also sometimes uh, another way just to, to, um, to the next step. But then once you decide on your way, make a work plan. By the way, when we made this work plan in 2012, we didn't know how to approach the startup ecosystem. What do we do with these entrepreneurs that, you know, that, that, that deal with technology? And how do the people of Tel Aviv refer and how do they find themselves as part of the startup city? People told me, I'm not a technology person. By the way, don't tell anyone. I'm very bad on technology. Whenever I need anything to be fixed with my... With my telephone, I go to my daughters that are 23 and 25. They fix everything. But still, I feel very comfortable as part of the startup story of Tel Aviv because we are entrepreneurs. So again, here what we did is we built a workshop. It took a, a work plan, sorry. It took us time about reducing city taxes, startups um, around the town, et cetera, et cetera. And then we went with it. Now, when I'm talking about that, another thing that I heard today in our um, little tour, is that there's a real issue of roadings, right? But when we thought about it a little bit more, the issue, I'm not sure, is the roads, because the roads are fine. They're fixed. It's just they're jammed. And there's a big, actually, problem of transportation. So sometimes you need to sit with the people, define um, the issue. You feeling uncomfortable with what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> May, again, maybe I'm wrong, and I asked you not as a because maybe um, the way I see things or the way I listen is wrong. But this is what all this is about: just thinking, um, uh, brainstorming, bringing some ideas, and some will be right, some will, some will be wrong. But getting back to roads and transportation, the roads are fine. The transportation is an issue. So if the transportation is an issue, we should sit down and see how we're, how we're, um, we're fix, fixing that, finding solutions. And there's all different solutions. All new buildings in Tel Aviv, no parking. We don't want people to get to, the, to institutions with cars, one. Second, high taxes on cars going into the city. We want people going in transportation, uh, in, in public transportation. Third. You have three lines. One line is only for carpools. Push people to use four or five people in one car. We love our cars. I know I love my car. It's my home. This is where my lipstick is, and this is where my Apple is, and this is where you know I can talk privately on my phone. But 
it's it's it, the problems with trans transportation is just going to be harder. So we have to let go our car if we want, if we like it, or we don't, or move the the the, um, uh, the jobs nearer to our house. And this is another issue. So make a work plan. Smart city. Another issue that I want to um, refer to. There's this buzzword saying smart city all over. And usually smart city, people define it as um, efficient city with roads, with light, with um, um, energy, whatever. The way I define smart city is a city that really knows how to listen to its residents. Like this meeting, I hope that somehow what will come out of it, it's not only my talk and the panel, but that we will know how to listen to you guys and how to understand what really hurts you. And from, it takes time. It's not a one-night one stand like any process. But when we sit together and we focus on those things and we find solutions, this is a smart city. And Tel Aviv, you can learn we are doing it in, in some digital way. By the way, sometimes you can do it digitally. But sometimes a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old, you won't educate them into the digital. Some will, but some won't. So we have to listen also in not digital ways. We had an open discussion in Rabin Square, 3,000 um, tables, just talks. No digital, no nothing. This is only a tool. It's not holy. We can f find a way to talk to each other in, in any other way. And last thing or last tool is patience. We want everything now or if better yesterday, but sometimes we need patience. We had a, lo a lovely idea um, that we actually copied from Australia. The, the best, um, the best uh, job in the world, you're probably aware of that, um, promoting, um, I don't remember which area of Australia, but somewhere. So we said, okay, let's promote Tel Aviv with the best hotel room in the world. Where will it be? In a lifeguard tower. It took Five years, 2012 the idea was, 2012 we did it because the hoteliers were against and the lifeguard association was against and the ministry of whatever was against. But after five years, once we finally did it, it was great. It was not so good because if it was so good, you would hear about it. But in our area, in Tel Aviv and in Europe, people really use it and, and it, it marketed Tel Aviv at that area Greatly. So again, if you have a, uh, an idea, if you have a, something you think it's good, stick to it. The, the, the fact that it didn't work immediately doesn't mean that it doesn't work right. So just to wrap up, key ingredients for a great city, for something that we want to build better, DNA, urban identity, ask yourself, what is that USP? And if you don't have the answer tomorrow morning, that doesn't mean there's no answer. Wait, consult until you find something that you understand that this is where your legacy is, where your story, where your, ident where your identity is. Then see how you're attracting the creative class. And then f what we did, it, it's just an example. It doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's a residence program where you focus on your residence. That means that you just go in a methodology way to a great number of participants with some um, innovation mentors. We call it innovation mentors. You can call it potato mentors, whatever you, whatever you feel is your focus. But as long as 
people will bring in ideas, will be engaged, will want that, because at the end of the day, they will feel, and maybe some people here um, recognize uh, Shimon Peres when he was alive two years ago. He used to come and give, he was like the, the most important leader for us in Israel. He used to give the prize for that um, procedure. Now, it's only a tool, it's only methodology, but it pushes great ideas, which afterwards were all over, and if you conclude all that, if you want to be not a global city, but if you want to promote um, the South, um, we have to make sure the urban identity, have to make sure that we are all into placemaking, do little things that will change and will take off red tapes and will enable. I was hearing on the tour that some of the problems were between um, the farmers and the, and the settlers. Do I get it right? Or you want to... Residential and, okay, residential tension. Well, it looks like it's very, very unique and it's only the problem over here. But you know how we have it in Tel Aviv. It's always between the clubbers and the residential area. Again, because there's area where there's, Tel Aviv is known for its 24-7 energy and there's lots of clubs and lots of restaurants and lots of um, private sector. And there's always tension. So whenever there's people, by the way, I'm Jewish, so... For sure we know. Whenever there's people, there's tension. But we need in a city to bridge that tension, to understand what is the problem, what hurts, and how are we um, doing through that. And that is the third word, collaboration, all the time. And I know we talk about collaboration. It's a common word we just throw out there in the air. But how hard it is to connect between the private sector, the public sector, the residents, to put everyone around the table I just came from Christchurch, and they need to collaborate between the airport over there and uh, the, the hoteliers and the city councillors. I sat with them to today at 7.30 um, a.m. because it was hard for them to sit alone. They need someone to bridge, um, to bridge for them. So it's not about me. It's about someone that, or, that you will find that will bridge and will make those collaborations or will help removing those red tapes and putting you red carpets. I just had an hour in your area, but I loved it. We went to the top of the hill, um, Pookie, Pookie Hill, okay, it was beautiful. Really, the stunning um, um, scenery. Um, but all of you guys are city makers, no matter what you are. The fact that you're here, that means you care. You want to do better. Um, out there was lots of words and plans and maps and numbers. Over here are the important ingredients, the people. And if you want to develop, and you've got here the best developers, I don't know all of you, but I know Quinn, I know there's some, some good work is, is going around here. If you guys want to make anything, it's just up to you. So I'd love to come next time and see what you're doing. And hope I just got a little bit of ideas um, around the table. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Healer. It's certainly been a long time since I went to the top of Pookie Hill with a, uh, with a female, so... Um, <laughs> oh, two females it was, too. Crikey.
never did that before. But um, thank you, Healer, and uh, and and wonderful. And um, it was a uh, it was a really enlightening um, uh, trip around today for Angela and I, Angela and I. And it was pretty challenging, you know, when, when she asked us things and um, she challenged it back at us. And it was, uh, it was actually, you know, that that it was actually very very thought provoking and. and and challenging, and it was uh, it was actually really cool. And um, so, I uh, well, thank you for that. And it's wonderful to have you here. So, um, I've got my first question on Slido, but we'll come to that. But um, we, as I said before, so what we're going to do now is we've, we have a panel come up, and uh, so I'm going to, uh, as the panel make their way up, I'm going to introduce them. And so, first up is John Doogood. Um, John is the uh, general manager of uh, Plans and Places at Auckland Council. He's the head of planning, as we used to call it um, a few years back. Um, and I, I guess John's, I think, claim to fame because I, he did an incredible job was uh, he had the un unenviable task of basically having the hands-on management of the formulation and the eventual adoption of the unitary plan. And, um, you know, having sat through that entire process and having John come and, uh, and speak to various committees and working groups and, and his knowledge and understanding and something that he said to me before, he knew a lot about the North Shore and uh, in the city from, from um, you know, his previous experience in council. And he came away with a, just this incredible knowledge of, of other parts of, of Auckland. Um, and uh, he was uh, a, great, a great bloke to work with. So uh, great pleasure to welcome John Doogood up here. <laughs> Following him up is the one and only Cynthia Gillespie. Um, she is the Executive General Manager of Planning and Investment at Auckland Transport. Um, she's a relative newcomer to Auckland, having been here about 13 months, um, and uh, she is a trained killer from the Australian Army, uh, where she was an officer in the Army Logistics, and has uh, progressed through to where she is now. Um, she has a passion for public transport, and, uh, and capital infrastructure. So um, please, would you welcome Cynthia Gillespie. <laughs> and our final panelist is someone quite different, um, Quinn Henderson. Um, Quinn is the CEO of South Base Construction Limited. Uh, South Base were established in 2013 in Christchurch, and they have offices in Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington, and Otago. They uh, Quinn has held a number of executive leadership roles in significant and complex projects in New Zealand, Australia and the UK and has extensive experience governing and directing highly successful project teams, two of them that you will probably be aware of are the Christchurch Airport rebuild and something that I was in on Saturday, Forsyth Bar Stadium in, uh, in, in Dunedin, so um, has built some pretty flash stuff, so uh, please welcome up uh, Quinn Henderson. So look, I did give them some warning, and so what we want is is, uh, is an opportunity for for you to, to ask um, and uh, and some questions, obviously. But um, I'm going to start it off, and I, I did warn them about the question. But um, so I'll start with you, Quinn, down the scene because you're the closest. Um, so yeah. Um, so from a you've, you've listened to Healer, and from a so from a construction and someone who's there, you know, who's been there, sort of at the at the ground level, basically. Um, in construction in cities and done some pretty awesome things. What did you sort of take out of what Healer was saying in her, in her presentation as to how things can be done from a construction sort of perspective? 
Um, well, coming from a rural background uh, and driving around Pukekohe and meeting a few people here, I think a key thing is for the local city leaders to hang on to what's important to Pukekohe uh, and to have some input into the future direction of your town as it becomes a city and what does that mean. Um, you, the community is a key thing and I think it's something unique that sets New Zealand apart is that we're a series of hubs of communities and we must link in together and work as one unit, New Zealand Inc. So the things that are important to Pukekohe need to remain from your history going forward and I think that's quite important and to tell stories from the older generations, younger generations and how we retain our youth in our communities. So in order to do that, the buildings that we construct need to reflect that and they may be uh, community halls or community infrastructure, uh, how we keep engaging with people. As Hilla said, it's not about phones. How do we get our kids off PlayStations out in the sports fields? We've had some pretty good rugby players from this era, as I recall, and some pretty good racehorses. So uh, how do you keep that as you go forward? And I think the focus on community and collaboration and remaining talking and discussing as you go forward and don't forget your history of who you are. Thank you, and you'll get a chance to fire some questions at Quinn uh, um, after that. So, Cynthia, from a, a transport planning sort of, you know, perspective, which, you know, and, and infrastructure sort of side of things, what's your sort of take on, what did you take out of that? So the first thing... So the first thing is that I won't be putting a duck up in Auckland Transport Building. I don't think we'd get away with that. I thought it was going to go on bills. Yeah. <laughs> not sure we'd Bill be a duck. Deputy Mayor can have it, but I don't think we'll put it up. I'd like to spend the money out in the community. I think the thing that I took away from it and the thing that I experience in Auckland all the time is the reliance on cars. And people continually talk about the reliance on cars as a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think a transport system has to have some reliance on cars and as you come out into the rural areas it becomes more and more prevalent. But I think, uh, you know, I heard somebody say there was a clapping going on when we were talking about get people out of your cars into public transport. Well, we're trying to do that at Auckland Transport and we're really focused on the public transport and getting people out of cars. But to do that we have to give you options. So you've got to have reliable services, you've got to have safe services, you've got to have good services. So I think, uh, you know, the thing that I always say that uh, I ex I've experienced is that when I've come over here from working in bigger public transport systems is that London's 180 years old, the transport system. The Sydney transport system's 130 years old and truly the Auckland transport system, the public transport system, is only about seven years old. So there's a lot being done, but there's a lot more to do. And I think the next generation of public transport that we've got to do is got to get improved public transport out to these regional communities so we can get you out of your cars. I mean, I think that's uh, where I, you know, I think I resonated with uh, that Tel Aviv used their cars. Everyone uses cars. I love my car. Um, I walk to work every day, but I can because I live in the city. I'm in the city of CBD. But, you know, we've, for, to get people out of their cars, there has to be options. And, uh, you know, we're working really hard to work through those options now. Thanks, Cynthia. John. All right. Um, yeah, probably the theme that resonated best with me was the um, reaching out to the private sector. So, you know, I work in the public sector and as a council employee and have done all my life. But 
I think we can learn a lot from the private sector and, and just sort of bringing that to uh, the sort of Pukekohe um, context. Um, you know, the, the idea of Puki growing to 50,000 people was the concept through the first Auckland plan. Um, you know, it's a doubling of the current population, but with that you need employment too. And so we can zone land, as planners do, as councils do, for jobs. But the jobs won't come unless we understand the drivers of the private sector and actually engage with the private sector to, to sort of find out where, where the sweet spot is and how we can actually draw the employment and the jobs into this part of Auckland. So, we, you know, we need to get the, the jobs as well as the housing, um, and that will have the transport benefits as well, because you can put in the best transport systems in the world, but if everyone is having to commute um, out of Pukekohe for employment, then we're going to have a problem. So we need to try and find out how we can really get the, the jobs down here, and it's not just about zoning the land. It takes a lot more, now it's a lot more smarts than that, and I think some of those smarts are sitting outside of um, councils. So that's, that's probably one of my key takeaways from there. From there. Well, it's a beautiful segue because the, the question that I got, um, I've got, had that question. So the, there's a question that's come up, and it, it talks about the, the issues that we're having with the southern line and the, the rail and the motorway. And so, it's, it, how do we plan to keep people in the area? You know, how do we, how do we, you know, plan for local jobs? How do we do that? You know, and so I mean, John, probably from a planning perspective, but it'd be, you know, good healer to to get your perspective too on how that might have been done in Tel Aviv. But you know, from a planning perspective, John, you touched on it. Was sort of anything you can add? Well, I think the starting point is we, we do have to um, earmark land in the right place for that employment because naturally it will, the market will take it to housing. That's kind of where the, the highest, best use, as, as developers will tell you, probably sits right now for much of the land that's been earmarked for growth. So, you know, unless uh, council is, is kind of works with, with the community here to just confirm where the best land is for employment, you know, and we, so we do need to protect some land for employment. I think that's a given. Without that, it will go to housing and we will have a problem uh, in this area. It'll be predominantly, um, you know, housing with, with, without the employment. So that's, yeah. And I don't think uh, that, uh, just to follow up that, I don't think that we can build or can afford enough transport infrastructure to support continually moving people into Auckland city centre, if that's where people want to go. Historically, that's not where really people are moving. They're moving across the city, not up and down. Um, but we just can't afford the, uh, the amount and the cost of the infrastructure to, to move people around. Um, a linear city like Auckland is really expensive to put public transport infrastructure in and to run services. So I think we have to work with the community to make sure that, that, uh, that we work out the economics of the local areas and, and capitalise on those. So just, uh, if, if people have got questions, just throw your hand up. But um, so, so Healer, I guess, I mean, you, you have, you're telling us before, you know, you, you spend a lot of time going to different cities and looking to see what people are doing and you consider what they're doing. So have you seen some really good, because infrastructure cost is, is an issue for us, so have you seen some examples around the world that you think where that might involve private, public sort of type stuff? Love to so hear. first of all, before we go, it, a little secret. It's not only for you, <laughs> for everyone. Like, budget is a very, very big issue. Um, but there's lots of um, new ways to, to approach um, stretching the budget. Because, okay, uh, like, a, like a budget in a family, a budget in a... In, um, in a city is always limited. How are we stretching that budget? So some ideas. 
One is collaborating with the private sector on specific issues. For instance, we um, really needed a theater and we didn't find a philanthropy. Sometimes you do get philanthropy money for, um, for things like theater, museums, things like that. You get money from ministry, you get money from philanthropy. We didn't get it. But at that area, the developer really wanted to um, build uh, um, a specific building with more rights. So what we did is, we get, the city gave, with approval of course, this is not a banana republic, it, it's, it's all um, with um, um, approves. But what we did is, a, instead of a 20-story um, building, I think it was 24, but then the two more story, stories, is that, that's the right, uh, um, we asked in that um, context to build a theater in that building. So it's not a, it's, a, um, it's another um, alternative theater. It's not the usual theater that you see. We also do it with schools, with kindergartens. We call it developer um, responsibility. So you get more rights, but you are also in charge of building that um, in uh, that uh, infrastructure that the city needs. So this is one way of getting it. Um, another way is um, bonds, um, social bonds for new, th this is for programs, not for buildings. There's lots of, uh, it's quite known, the bonds issue around the world um, for infrastructure, but we are doing now a specific new program for um, elderly um, um, neglected, and it's another way. And the last way, uh, the last um, tool is crowdfunding. Until now, um, crowdfunding is mostly used for, um, for specific products. Um, we also do it for projects in the city. If you want to uh, um, develop a, um, a garden, and that community, that area is really interested. Okay, the budget is a hundred. The, the cost is a hundred thousand dollars. The community puts fifty thousand, and the the city matches that. Now it may it may um, sounds weird to you, but it works. Sometimes when the community really needs something, it will put the money for it. We bought a beach, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so any questions out there in the in the audience? Oh, sir. Right down the far end. Oh, hang on. You have to have a, you have to have a microphone. That's red tape. That's one um, of the rules. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea of, uh, of, if you like, breaking down red tape and laying out red carpet. But it seems to me that, uh, that why does everything take so long? Um, decisions seem to be made very slowly about things and people get frustrated. Um, by them, and I just wonder what was your, or, or how did that cycle get broken, uh, if you like, in Tel Aviv to actually, you know, just make decisions. You know, you're never going to get it 100% right. Yeah, well, it's, it's a combination of two things. First of all, it doesn't happen so quickly also in Tel Aviv. <laughs> and I talked about patience, and within cities, it does take time. We don't like it. It's not as long as we think. But it's, but it's long. On the other, um, the, the other part of my answer is culture. Um, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, um, we are not afraid to fail. We do things, um, even if we're not allowed. Uh, we don't ask permission. We just go and do. 
it's not exactly the way that is over here, and I know it. So it's you know, it's it's. I'm happy that you're clapping your hands, but I know a lot of times um, people don't like that approach. So it is a matter of culture. But this is why you need so much the private sector. Because if somebody's brave around here, it's usually the private sector. Us, the public sector, the civil servants, oh, we just know how to say no. We don't know how to say yes. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a process. We have to, it's like a muscle. We have to train ourselves to say more yes. Because actually, why not? Why not put the duck on the roof? What will happen? <laughs> he will fly. <laughs> what will happen? <laughs> So, so, Quinn, sitting here quietly, yeah. but from someone who's been involved in some reasonable projects and sort of, you know, anything that you can sort of, any observations on that as to that red tape and, and, and what could possibly be done or you will think thoughts on it? Well, um, I come from a slightly more commercial background. Um, if I was down here, this is what the market garden capital of New Zealand, apparently, for potatoes and onions. Yep. So I got that right. Um, I'd be looking how... That's going to, so one thing's certain, eventually that land is going to get turned into housing, um, eventually at some point of time and probably beyond our lives. So, um, because the pressure of population growth will take it. So how do you protect that? How do you protect that in your community? How do you invest money into what makes money for the city or the town? Um, how do you intensify it? You go multi-levels or whatever it might be. So the big thing is to create and generate revenue for your town um, so that you can maintain your youth and so you can pay for all these uh, flash community buildings and community hubs that you've got to build to in turn retain your kids and people and to make a city. You know, so that's probably the challenges you're faced with is you've got Big Brother Auckland breathing down your throat, I think, um, and what's that going to look like? Yeah. Okay, any, any more questions out there? Neil, hello, mate. Yeah, I'm Neil. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask you a, a question. Uh, we've got Walkworth up to our far north and uh, down to here. What about the little towns outside of those areas? You know, like uh, the uh, I keep on banging on about uh, North Korea and South Korea, which is between here and the Waikato. No, we've um, um, so I've been seventy We're years South, eh? in Pukekohe, and. Um, We've got a problem with transport trying to get out of uh, Tuakau to here. It's 3.8 kilometres along the railway. And I have a friend over here saying you like cycleways and somebody somehow to walk around this place. Uh, what consideration have you guys got from out of town, out of, the, out of your areas? Yeah. I'll Sorry about that. Thanks for your question. Uh, look, I think... Um and I'll have to go back to the patient's story. Auckland is young in terms of the super city and I deal with the frustration every day of how much we can do and how much we want to do. You know, if uh, I could have a dollar for every time I said I wish we could do new roads or new... Well, I actually don't say roads. If I could do more public transport services or more footpaths or more cycleways in this city, I'd probably be able to pay for them. You know, I think uh, we are focusing really intently on within the Auckland footprint and we are 
you know, there's some, uh, st some strategic pieces being done with uh, central government about outside Auckland, specifically to the south, um, and how we get people through and how we use that corridor to move people into Auckland. Um, but uh, I'm not focusing on that. Auckland Transport's not focusing on that. We're part of the discussion, but we're not the, we are not the leads on the discussion at the moment. You know, I think it's really hard, uh, and I struggle. When I, went, uh, when I went into public transport to start with, uh, I did rural public transport, and so I'm really passionate about getting rural communities onto public transport and letting them have opportunities, you know, to get to jobs, to get to university, to get to leisure stuff. Um, and to get to other education. Um, and I will be passionate here about that as well. But I want to focus on the Aucklanders, you know, you guys, and I consider you all Aucklanders. I know that you're rural. I'm from rural background as well. Um, and my family were potato farmers. <laughs> there you go. So well, be no, careful what you say. <laughs> Um, but from England, my potato farmers from back background. But, you know, I think we are not, truly, to be honest with you, and I try to be honest with everyone, we are not, I am not a, in the planning space at the moment focused on what I can do for people over the border, and that's probably not what you want to hear, but I'm trying to focus on how we get the CBD centricity or the city, uh, Auckland city centricity out of our planning and start to work out into the regional areas. I'm really focused on that. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, so I am mindset on doing that, and I'm certainly not looking over the border. Probably not what you want to hear, but South. Korea. South well, I don't. Yeah, I'd rather not. <laughs> but I'm not. I am not doing that. So at the moment, I just I don't have the mind. You know, I don't have enough mind space to be able to do what we have to do for Auckland as a city and to bring the you know across the border across. I know it's a you know, and I can see lady there wringing her hands, going, "You might live across the border, do you?" Yeah. And Only I, look, just. Yeah. And that's, and I, you know, I really feel for you. But I have to be honest, I'm not going to, I will not lie to people about what we can and can't do at the moment. I will focus what I can do to get done. You know, we need to have conversations. We need not to lock people out. Local boards make sure we're trying to get that connectivity. And we don't want to do silly things and, you know, just cut it off at the border. But we do have to be sensible about what we can and can and can't do. Thanks. Um, Briar over there. Well, um, Cynthia is like the regional Shane Jones for public transport. Hi, thank you. Um, but in fact, just continuing that conversation um, and perhaps engaging the planners in terms of um, uh, the new um, Auckland super city, the boundary was determined on the basis of physical geography, was determined on the basis of the catchment of the Waikato River. That doesn't take people into account and it really didn't take um, the social geography of this area into account um, and um, if you're talking about people then that's a fundamental flaw um, and um, while we would support um, getting Auckland moving and getting Auckland into pub public transport and onto trains um, the, um, this area has become part of Auckland and the wonderful new suburban train services have actually worked to the detriment of people in this area because we've lost our express trains. Because once you are committed to a 10 minute timetable, there's no room 
for um, express passenger services or freight trains. I don't know if I can respond to that. All good points. You know, I think uh, taking it back to designing public transport systems or any transport system for people is the right thing. Um, you know, we're going to have to have that discussion. And maybe my mind site's too shallow. You know, maybe we should be looking a bit broader about what happens with the, you know, but where do we stop it? The next two kilometres, the next ten kilometres? You know, I have a responsibility to Auckland ratepayers and the mayor and the councillors to be fit, you know, I'm, I'm just trying, I'm not trying to justify what we're doing, I'm just trying to explain it. Um, but, you know, they're all good points. We should be looking, you know, we need to have conversations. I need to understand, and that's why I like to go out into the communities. I talk to the local board all the time. I try to go out into the community and understand because half the discussion that I have and half the things that I take back and half the things I know about public transport are not Cynthia Gillespie ideas, they're people from the community's ideas. And so, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone at any time about any issue relating to public transport or transport in the Auckland system. I will never try and lead you down a path or, and Auckland Transport won't. We will try and be as open and honest as we can to have open conversations. I think we will only improve the transport system for people inside the boundary. I don't really like to put it like that, but, you know, we're talking like that at the moment, inside and outside the boundary. Um, but truly, you know, we had, do have to have those conversations about what's sensible for people and how we move people around because the productivity of Auckland is at stake here, not uh, whether you're inside the boundary or outside the boundary. If I, if I can just build on that, Andy. Um, so in terms of the, the engagement that we're right in the middle of right now for the future of Pukekohe um, on both the land use future, housing, employment and so on, and also the transport initiatives with NCTA and Auckland Transport, you know, w we're certainly um, keen to hear from those south of the border. I mean, it's it's artificial in that sense as to where the boundary is. We're, we're well open to feedback south of the border and the plans that we've drawn up, um, you know, do take into account growth north and south of the border. So if, you know, if, if you feel those plans aren't <laughs> recognising um, growth in Tuakau, other parts of Waikato, then, then tell us that. I mean, we can certainly take that into account. Okay, you had a question here, then we'll come over to you. Oh, hello, Jennifer Shanks here, um, environmental consultant. Um, I've worked all over the Auckland region, so with State Highway 16, Causeway, Pūhoi to Walkworth Road, um, Northern Corridor improvements. And um, my question is quite simple, just picking up on what you said, Cynthia, and that is that, you know, you really don't want to provide expensive linear transport um, motorways and what have you. So the question is, if that's the case, why have we got thousands and thousands of new houses planned for Drury and Pirata and Moorland zoned? You don't want to provide the transport infrastructure, you know, that those two things don't 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 make sense to me. It's but like I have if I want to go into a meeting in Central Auckland, which I often have to do, get there at nine o'clock. Often, it's a two-hour drive. If I were to try and catch the train, it would be the same story. Half an hour from my home in Bombay, 
park my car, get on the train, take the train into town, and then when I get there, get somehow get up to the top to the council buildings or the court or whatever it is, that's only going to get worse because those houses are going to be built before the mess on the southern motorway is even sorted, let alone all the new houses that you've got planned, that you've done any transport for that. We still haven't got electrification down to Pukekohe, and it's just like, it doesn't make sense to me. I think, all good points, thank you. I think in terms of uh, building a linear city, it, if I said that we don't want to, it's probably the wrong language. It's probably better to say that it's really expensive to do that. You know, if you give me as, mu as much money as you like, I'll build you whatever you want in terms of to make the city work. It's, that's not sensible anymore. That just doesn't work. You just can't afford to build like that. But I think in terms of the linear city, you're not the only linear city of the world. I've come out of Gold Coast. Similar scenario. You know, there's some really, really tight... Uh, um, geographical issues in Auckland that you've got to deal with. You've got a lot of waterways, which is just gorgeous. I love the place. You've got, you know, you've really got some, you've got a linear city that's being designed like that. Uh, what I struggle with is that we continue to have the conversation that the growth is bad. You know, Auckland should be really grateful that people want to come here and live here and be part of this community and I'm talking the broader Auckland, because it is an enormously attractive country and city, and it's got a lot to offer. Productivity is awesome. You know, I just think, I get all your points, and I can't disagree with any of them. You know, why would we do that? Why would we go land out here? Why would we do that? Well, you've got to do it somewhere. And you've got a linear city. You know, we've got what we've got. We've got to make the best of it. We've got 7,500 kilometres of roads. 7,396 kilometres of footpaths. We've got lots of infrastructure already. So, you know, we will continue to improve it to meet the needs of the community, but we have to start thinking differently. And it's not about transport executives. I can come up with any plan you like about transport and I can write it down on a plan and I can make it look pretty and stick it out there for you and talk to you. But it's not about me doing it. We've got to do it together because all of you in the room will have driven here because no public transport. Somebody got a bike. I know the boys got a bike. They were telling me up the back. They're just going, I got, I rode my bike. Did you have a bike path? Were you oh, safe? A tiny one. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, the point is, you know, this is just, this is a community issue. And you're so right in terms of talking about, let the, the community's got to have your face. The face of your community, you've got a deputy mayor sitting there, you've got a local board sitting there and there. They are on my back every day. Every, without fail, every single day, working for you as a community. We need to all work together. I mean, I, you know, you're right in what you say, but I, I've got, I have no answers for why it's been planned linear. Is, we got what we got. That's exactly right. The, the country is linear. You can't do much else. You can't go that way. So, you know, I think that's, we've, we've got no options. So I think we've got to make the best of what you've got, and it's a pretty good city. Beautiful. Yeah. Question over there. It's on? All right, thanks. Yeah, Kit Howard, and I'm further up the line. I've come down south to see a different part of Auckland, and it's really interesting. Look, I've heard frustrations and red tape and real problems. You know, one of the things I'm really concerned about is the elite, the best growing soils in New Zealand, which is of a national strategic area. And this comes to the question for the panel, you know, 
do we let Big Brother down in Wellington through its new Urban Development Authority, which it's going to push through next year, take over? Because that overrides the unitary plan. It, it can set a new direction. How do you see this, if anything, solving some of our red tape, et cetera, et cetera? Thanks. No one's watching, John. And so, <laughs> so good question for you is, you know, the threat to your plan, buddy. Well, the truth is we, we've yet to uh, find out the details of what the government's plans are in terms of a UDA. There's all sorts of rumours and speculation as to what this Urban Development Authority may or may not um, do. Um, my own uh, take on it is it be highly unlikely to have a UDA that's set up to kind of plan for further and expand Pukekohe beyond what Auckland Council has already gone through with the community over the last eight years in terms of setting a plan uh, for the way forward. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that would be a concern if, if there was a big further planned expansion through UDA, but it just seems pretty unlikely, um, you know, with the, with the land that we've already identified for future growth and very carefully uh, looked at that issue of um, the prime and elite soils and where the areas are that should be retained. Yes, historically, there have been some um, developments approved on, on that land, but I think we've, we've landed in a great spot with the unitary plan process to um, you know, protect those soils from, from further expansion. So yeah, I, who knows where that will end up, but my suspicion is it's, it's not as bad as some might be um, speculating in terms of expansion on, on, on great soils and things like that. I don't think that's where the government's really putting its money anyway. That's my take on it. Beautiful, beautiful answer. Um, Sir William. Pat, um, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I really want to say thanks for coming out with your con con conversations today. Um, I, I, I enjoyed very much Healer's focus on um, really vibrant issues, and I hope that we can take some of that away. <coughs> I thought her comments about roads was particularly appropriate. We've got jolly good roads, we've just got too many cars on them. And in Pukekohe, we've got a jolly good city, um, but it hasn't been allowed to expand. The amount of land that um, the consenting authorities have made available for Pukekohe to expand, I think large, partly because of the elite soils, but most of the, the um, eastern side of Pukekohe are not elite soils. And there's tons of room for expansion in Pukekohe. And Pukekohe's got a very good, solid core of infrastructure in terms of services. Uh, and... Um, has got the capacity to grow. The fact that it's been hasn't grown uh, has actually created the the growth centres in other parts of Franklin. I mean, you've got huge growth centres now, which haven't got any services, and we're spending mega bucks to get services to them. Whereas Pukekohe uh, should have been allowed to grow. And I and I'm very conscious as an ex minister of finance of the the budget problems. Um, but I worry a wee bit about what John and Cynthia said earlier about simply allocating more land for industry in, in Pukekohe. I don't think that approach is going to help either. Uh, what I do think is that um, we, we should be concerned about time frames in front of us. It took us the best part of three years to get the, well, longer, to get the unitary plan through. We're doing structure planning now, which has been in place for a year and it's going to take it another year, maybe longer, to, um, to come to fruition. 
And then there's going to be the need for plan changes after that. You've got a, a time frame in front of us that puts out the availability of Pukekohe to grow by, you know, maybe a decade. Um, so I, I just wonder whether we shouldn't be focusing on the things we can do quicker and concentrate our resources into those. And the one thing that occurs to me is the, is the electrification of the railway. Now, that actually would take a lot of that traffic off your roads and it would, in fact, um, help this cross-the-border issue too because the people in Turkey are now Pocono, which is growing into a, a large city, would have access to the electrification in, into, the, into the centre. So I think, it's, I think it's really a question of practical realities of looking what you can do, how you can do it much quicker. And if, if, if Pukeko is going to have more industrial land, which it needs, it needs more residential land as well. And it needs the ability to get into the city off the motorways. And the answer seems to be the railway. Now, I, I know that you've got limited resources, but it seems to me that you should be f focusing on doing those things that you can do quickest and get them done and concentrate your resources there. It's going to mean a bit more focus on what's achievable quickly. I'm reminded what Sir John Allen said when he opened the Auckland Harbour Bridge a long time ago. There'd been a huge argument about the, the number of lanes that should have been on the bridge. Sir John said, well, it's better to build with four lanes and get it built than to keep on arguing whether it's going to have six lanes. And there's a bit of that around today. We're arguing about options, but we're not making any progress. And I, think, I think Auckland Transport, particularly, uh, and the council need to actually say, OK, we're going to do these things more quickly, which will take that take pressure off other areas, uh, allow us to use the infrastructure that's in place and let it expand. Don't put pressure on us to have to create long legs, lengths of infrastructure which costs a lot of money <coughs> just to build um, new suburbs in different places um, and really allow the communities that are established to absorb the, the growth, the population growth that we've got, where the infrastructure is, allow it to ex expand preferably on non-elite soils, and to get that jolly um, railway electrified and getting people on it, and extend it to Turkau and maybe to Pocono, and, uh, you know, at least in a, the sort of time frames we're talking about, in, in five years we'll, we'll have seen some progress. You say that you're going to do it tomorrow and we're going to do it in five years, then we'll know with some certainty that you're not just going to keep on drawing lines on plans and saying, well, We'll get around to it when you know when we've got enough feedback. The only the only progress we seem to be making with feedback is that you're analysing the people who are giving you feedback. We know how many Chinese are giving you feedback. We know how many Pakihas are giving you feedback. We know where they live, but we but we are still drawing lines on plans. And so I don't want to be critical because I know I know the size of the problem, but I am very concerned to hear you saying, "Well, you're just going to." enlarge the areas of industrial land in Pukekohe because without the people to live here as well, to, to live on that, you're going to get people coming in from out of Pukekohe working on those industrial areas. So there's got, to be, there's got to be a balanced approach to allow this city to grow, inspired as we should be by some of the comments from Hill tonight, 
and um, but sort of focusing our what we can do practically in a quick time frame to make some good progress and let's tell the people what we are going to do and what it's going to cost. So I'll save you Cynthia and John. So Hila, so you've heard, so basically, I mean, one of the key things there was, was um, um, Bill saying that we spend a lot of time talking about what we could do and, you know, and what we should be doing and we argue about it and we plan and then we go out and we consult and then we go again. Have you experienced, I mean, for, from a Tel Aviv perspective or have you experienced somewhere in the world where they actually have been able to sort of cut through that, that process and say, oh, let's just get on with it? You know, is that, is that something that you've experienced and um, instead of sort of constantly consulting and asking and, and too worried about being very risk adverse in our decision making, which I don't say is happening, but, you know. Well, you know, we always want to find those magical um, solutions um, and just um, copy paste and move it to, to places. Uh, we're talking democratic um, places. I just came from Moscow um, three months ago. They were ready for the um, for the soccer, um, the mo not the mondial, and you should have seen the city. I was there six years ago. I didn't like it. Has anybody been to Moscow in the last year? No. Well, I recommend you. They did. They took off red tapes, but sometimes they do it probably in in different way, right? Our culture is democratic. And when it's democrat, when it's um, it's it's talking, you have bureaucracy. So you have different cultures. Tel Avivians are more pushy. Um, Australians are more tolerant. <laughs> but um, things do happen here. And when I came to Crossroads last year, and when I came this year, I did see um, a lot of changes. And I know that the people around there don't feel that way. So sometimes we feel frustrated about what we have, but if we look at, at the optimistic way, things are happening, and it's, again, it's all about you guys. You just have to go and do. So if you'll do it, it will happen. Right. Hear that, Bill? Um, right. <laughs> Thank you for a good presentation tonight. Um, one of the points that came out was the need for private sector involvement and interaction with the public sector. And there seems to be a desire for more jobs out in places such as Pukekohe, South Auckland, out in the suburbs. Um, on the other hand, you have an there's an inbuilt economic incentive for firms to concentrate in central business districts. I'm an, I'm an accountant. Eight of the um, top ten firms in New Zealand have their Auckland offices in the Auckland CBD. And so how do you incentivise firms to base their operations out in the suburbs um, in spite of the economic incentive to centralise? So again, there's, there's not a, um, a, a, solution, a magical solution, but of course the big five will always want to be together because it's like a, um, it's like a competition. ENY needs to see Deloitte, needs to see KPMG, needs to see PwC, right? They all need to be in the same area. But if this is a rural area, and this is the agriculture um, um, uh, economy, so probably 
new firms or, or things that are related to agriculture can be here. And how are we helping them? Taking um, taxes reduction. This is what we did for startups, giving them sometimes if we have empty, um, empty places, in engaging them to come in. Some social things, some things that we need. For instance, sometimes um, we need, uh, we all have schooling all over the world. And all schools always need food, okay? So sometimes instead of um, finding um, uh, some private uh, um, supplier to give that food, maybe the local, um, the local parents can organize that. Or different social things that have an impact and have something that we need. So it's not, it will never be those big five, but it will be different things that there are needs. And I'm sure if you'll just dig a little bit, you'll find some solutions and some um, little um, 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 businesses here that can be pushed, but they need the platform. And this is what we do have, the, the private sector. We do have the, um, the platforms. We have um, sometimes places like a, a school that is closed at four or five. What is happening in that school in the afternoon? We have um, uh, empty buildings. We have, I don't know, different things that we can share and make it easier for the little businesses to go in and to do. So it's about sitting together, priv public, private sector, and finding those things. OK, and, and last question, because we Getting on, it's been nearly an hour and a half. So just over there. Hi, um, I'm kind of really interested in what you've been talking about. It's really topical. The transport piece is obviously clearly hot and on top. But another thing that concerns me is what are we going to do with all the waste that we're going to obviously have heaps more waste, heaps more people. There's not even any public place recycling bins in Pukekohe. So where's all the waste going to go and the drain on resources, water and wastewater? I'd just like to hear what's been thought. <laughs> I can't answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll go on a truck it's, on the it's road. It's getting just on the edge of my, my remit and ex expertise So um, as a planner. Um, look, uh, yeah, I, I probably can't speak specifically to that. Um, you know, Council's doing a lot in terms of... Um, incentivising, facilitating recycling, but there are some big challenges there in Auckland and, and in New Zealand, as we know, so it's a big challenge in terms of, um, you know, uh, sewage, wastewater, I think you're talking about as well. Um, it's, yeah, capacity's there at the Tuakar plant, so, gone to <laughs> Deputy Mayor, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all been fairly well looked at in terms of waste, so unfortunately we don't have a, a sort of waste expert up here. We do have water care people in the room, though, so if you're Some interested, I'll hook you up with um, rubbish. <laughs> our colleague um, from water care, Ilza, over here. Yeah. I wouldn't mind waiting in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you. There's some, uh, these are all problems that we're talking about tonight have been faced worldwide. Okay, So there are solutions worldwide how to deal with solid waste and the three waters and what you've got to do. And it's stuff that we've had to face down in Christchurch as well. Lost our oxidation ponds, people dispersed, populations, and all that lateral stuff. So uh, I come back to my earlier points. The community of Pukekohe um, has got to take ownership of what's going to happen with your city. If you want to protect your elite soils, but there's zones over the other side to do industrial, 
what type of people do you want Pukegoe to grow with? You know, you talked about the four houses, somebody did, about the four accountancy houses. Uh, things that we're looking at down south and in Wellington is how do we attract those to cut, leave Auckland or locate back down here? What sort of lifestyle can we operate off of those people? Because um, some people are getting a bit tired of spending an hour and a half in the car, uh, workers, you know, a little bit older, and not getting to see their kids at night time. And that's got a real issue. And so you'll probably find there will be... Uh, a bit of a flip and people start looking at these communities. It's what New Zealand's about. A lot of offshore people come to New Zealand for this type of community. So how do you attract them? How do you attract youth? What can you do? And I just urge the community leaders to do it yourself because I've seen places in Christchurch where they didn't take ownership and they've ripped the guts out of our city, you know, okay? And there's no ratepayers contributing to it. So learn from it take ownership of it. Wellington have learned from it. They're taking ownership of it. Grab it yourselves and protect your land and, and invite the type of people in the community you want to be in the future going forward. I don't want to sound mutinous at all, but um, at some point of time, we've got to step up and uh, take ownership ourselves and stop putting our hands out and wait for central government. Okay. Um, just, as an, yeah, just as an idea, you talk transportation a lot tonight. Uh, what about Pukekohe? Uh, approaching some people offshore and being the first to invent the electric bus or whatever it might be that goes on that motorway. As we said, it's not roads are the issue, and I personally don't want to see New Zealand and our beautiful forests covered with grey asphalt and roads, when in 10, 15 years' time we're going to have these automotive vehicles, autonomous vehicles and buses. Why don't you invent it in Pukekohe? You make a name for yourselves, you know? Just putting it out there. Now, I, I was very naughty in that we had one more and I missed them. So um, just one, the last question, just in the back row. Kia ora koutou. My name is Edith Tuimata and I'm uh, part of the local iwi of Ngāti Teata. I've just got a few questions. I'm sorry it's like the tail end of everything, but um, Cynthia... Um, there is, without a doubt, going to be 50,000 homes come online in the next five to ten years. So the connecting part of it really has to happen. Why can't you have a collaborative approach and work with the private developers in developing these networks and trying to get the best out of that? That's the first, question, first sort of question I've got. For you, um, John, I've got another one. You know, you want to bring in um, jobs and everything into this particular um, area for the sector, for, for the private sector and everything like that. But this is traditionally a food bowl area. This is where we've always grown our crops, mairano, from, from, from the beginning of time as, as iwi has perceived it. So um, can you, is there any way where we, we can keep that sort of growing soils intact on this side here? Because those 50,000 houses are going to come online. How are we going to feed them if we're not going to have the, um, the food bowl still, still here? And with the growers and, and the horticultural people, the further you move them out of Auckland, the less viable their businesses are, are going to be coming. So that's a question for you. And then for you, Hela, um, you talk about um, a cultural identity and everything like that. For, for everybody, really, you know, uh, our stories as, as iwi is our unique perspective that New Zealand talks about promoting, you know, this unique perspective. And it's our Māori culture and our cultural heritage that does this. So for all of you, how are you going to provide for that unique cultural identity? Kia ora. I will 
I'll start with the Maori, which I admire so much. I think um, we're talking when we talk about here. We talked about puki, and Maori is part of all of New Zealand. So this is an issue, just like in Israel, we have our Arabic um, uh, background, but it's not specific for Tel Aviv, and it's not the USP of Tel Aviv. Same here for puki. Maori is all over. You are part of the history of this land, but you are not the story of this land. You are part of it, if you understand what I mean. And it's not anything offensive or anything against. On the contrary, you are part of it. And I think each city in the world has a, a collaborative story, but it needs to find that one thing that is really, really, really unique there. And the Maori is part of the story, but it's not the unique issue of Puki. So this is just to put this in context. Back to you. Kia ora. Um, look, uh, continue to engage with Ngāti Teata and all mana whenua who have uh, historical links to Pukekoi is, is critical. Um, Council has, has done that over the last few years and, and is committed to continuing to work with you and other mana whenua to, to figure out exactly what the best future is for the land that's been identified for Pukekoi to, uh, to grow. Um, in terms of the, the soils, as I mentioned before, most of the soils have been protected by setting a boundary and saying no growth beyond that. Uh, and there's been a land identified, you know, um, that was in the inside that had good soils, that's been sort of um, no longer earmarked for development. So a lot of work has been done to try and protect this area as the football. And I think that's a, that's a good key point, that that is part of the economic future, is, is kind of expanding on, building on that, that history, that legacy of businesses involved in, in, in food production in this, this area. So, I th I, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. I haven't got any ideas about the specific ways. That's why we want to continue to engage on, on what, you know, uh, what that might look like in terms of recognising mana whenua in this, this place. Kia ora. Thanks for your questions. Um, you know, when you talk about uh, engagement, it's Auckland Transport, and everybody will sigh in the room, are really serious from my perspective and what I see in the organisation about consulting with the community and mana whenua. Um, and we often get criticised for not listening um, but we're trying to turn that around in terms of, you know, who do we listen to in the community? We have to listen to everyone, and everyone's got a right to have a say, I think. Um, but we do work with private developers as well. We get lots of good input. Um, we don't do everything right all the time, um, and we know that and we acknowledge that, and we're trying to work on that. We won't be perfect all the time. But we are trying to do the right thing by the community and listen to the community and engage with everyone. Uh, transport systems are historically hard to retrofit, um, expensive to put in greenfields. So whichever way you go, it's a it's a difficult task. But uh, you know, I think some of the designs that have been done by Auckland Transport uh, in some of the new bus terminals and ferry terminals uh, align with the community and the historic um, uh, importance that uh, Manafena will bring to to uh, Auckland. So I think uh, we do try to do that. Um, are we experts at it? I don't think we're experts at anything. We don't proclaim to be experts at anything. We just try our hardest, so we'll keep trying. Okay, thank you. And so I've, I do have a heap of...
questions here, but I think we can answer them, you know, online. It was good good to be able and, and actually I pushed the button and I was looking on the right screen. Um, <laughs> so that's my fault, those people out in the uh, the wide world who've sent... Uh, well, I do I know from some of the questions who you are. Um, right. Um, so um, um, we'll get back to you on those questions. But um, it's it's now sort of half past eight and we've been going for, for an hour and a half. And so um, I'd now... Um, like uh, Deputy Mayor Bill Cashmore to uh, to come on up and to uh, basically give a dissertation as to what you did in the... No, you can give a vote of thanks. <laughs> in my short time in politics, I've always learned Landy Baker will always land you in it consistently. And that's a good thing. So a summation of tonight, well first of all this is the first Auckland conversation that's come out of the CBD. So well done you Pookie, you're interested, you're keen, you're passionate about your area, that's why we love you so much and that's why this is probably the best rural area in the city. And unquestionably that's probably maybe part of our DNA. And I think thinking about that DNA is going to be really important for us as we grow forward. You know, what do we actually want? The population's going to keep coming. We have to plan for it. You can't have them all sleeping in cars in Papatoi. People deserve a decent home and a decent education and a decent opportunity. And the whole of the city has to be part of that. We need to do our bit, and we are doing our bit with that. Movement is transportation, and transportation is movement. And I think, Helen, I really take that part of you, your comments around that. It's, it's really a big deal. You know, it's a headache for all of us. Um, I live out on the other coast and I leave home at quarter to five in the morning to get into the CBD. So I know the pain that so many people are going through. And I've seen what it's like in Drury, in Takanini, and experienced the underfunding that's gone with that. And that's something that we have to continue to work on. But also, same as I said tonight, is patience, because you can't build a new freeway. You can't build a new net network such as Mill Road in a flick of a finger. So it should have been finished 20 years ago. Um, and we need to now start as soon as possible because we have done the hooey on some of that stuff. We need to really kick along with the dewey. Talk, conversation, and most importantly, listening. So we consult an awful lot around Auckland Council. We do come to you as our public and we hear what you have to say, but we need to continue listening with our ears wide open because your input's valuable. Your input is what's going to be needed for the future, and local knowledge is gold. It really is. Remove the red tape. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As a person in business, one of the reasons I stood for council was because of the red tape. But we do live in a democracy, and one of the things I have learned is when Alan Cole is building his new shed. He doesn't want to have any resource consent issues. But all his neighbours want to put him through the hoops ten times. So somewhere we've got to find that right balance. And that is challenging. So yeah, I don't want to have to get a consent, but by God, my neighbour does. And I think the last thing is probably the most important, is that's to collaborate. We live in a small island nation at the bottom of the Pacific, and we have to collaborate between our different agencies, whether it's Auckland Transport and NZTA and Kiwi Rail, Auckland Council and the Government, the Franklin Local Board and the Auckland Council Governing Body. No one has the right of all knowledge. 
No one's correct in every facet. But we all have something to put in. We all have value. And that collaboration, that discussion with the listening, but with a time limit, so that we do get the actions. And that across the border piece is important for this nation. Because we are a series of islands of different sizes, but we are connected. And Auckland has a big mass, 33% of the population, 38% of the GDP. We're an important part of it. We need to ensure that we play that role with maturity and common sense. Hila, thank you so much. And John, it's um, really valuable. And I've had my eyes opened, and I think we all have in this room. To our panel, panellists, John, my good Australian friend Cynthia, I'm going to be more cautious of what I say to you now that I've learned that you're a killer. <laughs> and to Quinn, representing the successful private sector. Now, there's a person who's actually built real stuff, real stuff. And that's someone I always want to listen to, someone who's actually been there and done that and faced it in the real world. So thank you, team. Uh, we value your input. And for, of course, last but certainly not least, Mr. MC Magnificence, personified Andy Baker. Thanks, mate. It's always a pleasure working with you. And while you're in the clapping mode, folks, give yourself a round of applause for showing the passion that you are of good Franklinites, please. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the podcast of Auckland Conversations, brought to you by Auckland Council and our sponsors Jib and Resine. For more information, visit our website, conversations.aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. Auckland Conversations is proudly produced by Tandem Studios.